Hello, this is Michael Novenson with Information Security Media Group, joined today by Paul Martini. He is the co-founder and CEO of iBoss. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you? Good, good. Great to be here. Nice to be speaking with you. So we head toward the end of 2022 here. I want to get a sense of what has been the biggest technology-related investments you've made this year at iBoss. Yeah, definitely. So first, the evolution of this market. I mean, we saw a lot of this at RSA as well. Has been, you know, you see the exponential number of vendors covering zero trust. We believe that the market is now going mainstream, and the number of companies that are migrating to a direct connectivity model or a SASE model is really happening now. Like we're, in the, we, but we still believe it's the early innings. The way we look at this is in five pillars. So the first is device and asset management, meaning we want to make sure that the devices and the laptops are healthy, firewalls are on, disk is encrypted making sure they're not infected before they touch sensitive data resources. So that's a big area where we do a lot of development in. The second area is, is user authentication. And this is a big area, obviously, for Zero Trust, which is when, we, when someone says or logs into a system, we want to make sure they are who they say they are. And integration for us with things like Azure AD and Okta to, to get identity is really important. But one thing we focus on is how do we use this to protect resources after login? So once they get past that login screen, Typically with, with Azure, with Okta, uh, we need continuous visibility and continuous access controls. So we want to apply identity in a continuous way. So user authentication is the second pillar for us. The third is uh, data and application discovery. So basically, what is it that you're protecting? So that, that comes, that's the API-based CASB that you hear about or you know, uh, general CASB where we, we scan networks. We look for not just applications like this wouldn't be just general cloud applications. These would be web portals that company owns but also things like SSH, RDP, so like shells and things, as well as any sensitive data where, where it sits within, you know, things like Salesforce or Office 365. So data discovery and application discovery is pretty big. And then the fourth, which is probably one of the most critical, is the glue that puts it all together, the access authorization and access. So when we allow someone to touch data or application, we know the device is healthy, we know it's the right user, we know what the application is because we've discovered that. We only want to allow approved users, but in addition, we also want to run security because I think there's a lot of uh, zero trust sometimes from our perspective is, is focused purely on the connectivity piece, like making sure that applications are inaccessible. But to us, it's more of a blend of the security and connectivity, the, the SASE or the SSE, where you're doing DLP, malware defense, CASB, anytime data moves because it allows you to make more precision authorization decisions so that, you know, for example, you might be able to upload something to the internet, but if that data or that content has a sensitive label or sensitive content, you might not want that to occur at all. And then the fifth and final pillar for us is incident response. So once, if something were to occur, something that were to occur, like, can we give you the right tools to identify what went wrong as well as help you remediate? So those are the five pillars that we've worked on, device and asset management, user authentication, data and application discovery, authorization and remediation. And, and all of the technology we build is basically anchored around those five, those five areas. Which of those five pillars are you seeing the most growth or the most or the biggest increase in interest in right now and why? The authorization um, and access controls. And actually, that's where you hear a lot of the zero trust. And the reason the zero trust conversations and stuff like that, the reason we think that that's the most important is actually the root. If you look at NIST 800-207, which is the zero trust architecture that NIST put out, they say, look, if zero trust really focuses on the crux of the issue, which is the goal to prevent unauthorized access to data and services. And particularly for us, when we think about risk, I mean, you look at CISA, you know, they did, in 2021, they do a ransomware research study with like the FBI, NSA, and a bunch of others, and they said the top three initial infection vectors 
for all the ransomware attacks in 2021 was unauthorized access. Phishing, stolen credentials, brute force attacks, and things, things of that nature. But if we can reduce the surface area so you're not really thinking about a network, you're thinking about an application, that's also misconstrued quite a bit, which is zero trust is a VPN replacement and it connects you to a subnet or network or server. We think that if you're, if you're talking in those terms, you're missing the point. It's really about the application itself. So even if that application runs on the same server, a user should not be able to scan any other application on that server because they're being granted access to data. Reducing risk, in our opinion, is if you can reduce that surface area to only allow authorized users to touch that application or that data and, no, and by default exclude everyone else, that software becomes vulnerable or it's a highly sensitive piece of data. They just can't get to the application to begin with. So, it really is taking VLANs and firewalling, you know, concepts to where there is no perimeter, but there's all, it's also to the extreme. There's no east-west traffic. And so it greatly reduces risk substantially. And I think it's the number one way, in our, my perspective, to reduce risk. If we can blend the malware defense, the DLP, and the CASB, which we do, now you're really talking about consolidating security stacks, getting visibility, log-level visibility for every single transaction, which also is really, really important. But I would also add that with one of the big drivers that we're seeing is Office 365 and Teams has basically overloaded like on-prem proxy. So you have these, these drivers of like remote work, but you have people working out of the office, but even more so is you need to be able to apply authorization controls and proxies. They're just falling over. Too much bandwidth, too many connections. So if you're looking at things like Broadcom, McAfee proxies, they're really heavy appliance centric. You know, these organizations are looking at a way like we need to transform toward these remote workers, but we need a sustainable path so that to allow bandwidth to grow and connections to grow so users remain productive. And so this is a big driver to, to push organizations to modernize and move to the SaaS-based approach, which is infinite scale and you know, infinite connections, which allow the users to work remotely, get the security. You know, we're replacing proxies, we're replacing VPNs, and we're replacing VDI, virtual desktop with browser isolation. It's a really clear budget, you know, budget item. I know you were talking about with the zero trust model that you'd eliminate east-west traffic. And I was wondering, how do, you go about, how do you go about doing that without impacting performance or productivity? Yeah, basically, the, the decisions with zero trust, they're made at the application level, at the data level. So what is it that you want to access? And you open up a connection just to that, to that application. The application could be in your office or it could be in the cloud. I say cloud meaning Azure, AWS, or it could be SaaS. To me, they're different. Because in Azure and AWS, you control the virtual infrastructure and the virtual networks. In SaaS, you have no control. It's Office 365. But you have to be able to connect users in a private way to all three. And what we find, like we've just done another, another large bank, and they said that their experience, their end user experience, has exponentially increased because what's happened with these employees is they get on a laptop and before they're used to turning on a VPN and they need to access something, the VPNs are typically overloaded and slow. And now, now we've moved to a model where the user login, they're always connected to everything they need. So it's immediate, as well as you know, when you eliminate the backhaul through a VPN, you eliminate the traffic through proxies, all the choke points, the speeds go up. So actually, you know, ironically, you get a better end user experience, even though you're reducing the surface area by ensuring that the users have direct connections to these applications from wherever they work, and the security is able to process the data at scale. If you think about the state of the SASE market or the state of the SSE market today, I was wondering, what do you feel are the biggest differences in terms of the state of the SSE market today as compared with 12 months ago, if we were speaking at Black Hat? USA 2021, particularly particularly from a technical maturity. Yeah, I think look, there's lots of overlap between Zero Trust, which is NIST, um, and SASE or SSE. We think that there's concepts in both. 
that are really valuable, and then there's a huge amount of overlap in both that are that are similar, but they're they're achieving the same kind of concepts. But really, what I like about the the, the stuff I like really like about uh, SSE and SASE is the emphasis on security. Like not not to say that the zero trust and NIST doesn't do that, but talking about the malware, the CASB, the DLP, and then the NIST talking about the surface area of these applications and using threat intel security as well, because really. When you think about a holistic approach to transformation, it's got to be both the security and the connectivity. This can't be just as simple as a VPN replacement idea or just reducing the surface area. That's, that's important that you have to be able to log every transaction, you have to be able to authorize every transaction, and then you have to be able to scan the content for PII, prevent you know, data loss, malware, ransomware, all of those kinds of things as well. But, it, but I feel like what's happened in the last six months, even, even since RSA, is the market maturity in the last six months from our perspective has gone from early markets to mainstream markets, which is why we're seeing a lot of vendors, but we're also seeing that the deals are faster. So like when we see an RFP now, which get, we get down selected a ton of these RFPs and we and go into a process, they used to be like no deadline of when they're gonna buy, you know, what the RFP process was, they wanted requirements and they were exploring. Now it's, you know, we need to implement it by November. So the timelines are very compressed and a lot shorter. And I think that that's indicators that this really mature, like the mainstream market now are, are seeing the value both financially as well as uh, from a technology perspective that there's no choice but to make this move. Users are not going to go back to the office. Uh, the uh, teams in Office 365 are not going to go away. Bandwidth will keep going up. So what is your strategy to maintain your costs as well as maintain user productivity in a world that looks so different? It's going to become very mature. And I think that those, those concepts are still evolving. You know, I think they're, they're, they're still evolving. And, and that maybe, maybe they converge at some point. So in terms of this moving into the mainstream market, what's the difference in terms of customer profile that you're seeing now as SSE becomes more mainstream versus when it was really early market? What, what types of buyers are you seeing now, more of now that maybe you weren't seeing as much of in the past? The way we see this, that the early market um, is, and Zscaler did a great job here in, this, in the early market, is very revolutionary. So these are very visionary individuals coming in and like, they want to disrupt what they're doing for the sake of leapfrogging their competition, right? It's, and they're, they're, this is a good thing because this is actually what drives, you know, and, and kicks off these mainstream markets. What we're seeing now is more pragmatic buyers that are looking at this in, in sense of, if I'm going to do this transformation, I want to validate that I can do it end to end. So not just, it's not just about remote workers. I still understand that I have data and applications in a data center or in an office. So when the users go back in the office, like, how do I deal with that situation? I can't, you know, for example, send data out to a cloud service and back. So these are very pragmatic buyers that want not just a percentage of their workforce to be transformed. They want an end-to-end -end transformation to eventually retire a lot of these legacy proxies and a lot of the legacy gear, the VPNs and things of that nature, and get a holistic, and then they're balancing with holistic value as well. So we think it's early innings profile of that buyer is very different. They want things to work. Like they're not tolerant of latency or slowdowns or downtime. I think the early market is much more tolerant of that. So if there's a, a hiccup or there's downtime or there's issues, they're not happy about it and it's disruptive, but they, they probably expected that there would be disruption. The, the mainstream market here is very intolerant. They want this to be bulletproof and work. What we're confident about is our, our deployments. We have deployments with 1.7 million devices on a single network for technology, 500,000 devices. So mass scale, 2 billion requests a day. And so this is really, for us, proof points that you can do an end-to-end -end transformation, and you can get 100% of the users, servers, devices, and assets into a more modern way to connect and secure, you know, workflow. You mentioned 
couple moments ago in terms of the RFP process that you're seeing people coming in with really firm deadlines now. And I was wondering what, what are the implications both from the standpoint of iBoss as a seller as well as for the buyer if, if there's now much tighter deadlines around implementing SSE or SASE? Yeah, look, I think a big driver of this is renewals are coming in, renewal costs for legacy on-prem proxies. And what we're finding with our surveys is those renewals are 500% higher than what they originally paid. The reasons for that is, look, things have become more expensive, but the technology using gear to solve this problem is expensive and it requires a lot of intellectual property as well as work and, and, and infrastructure. But I think that what it means is that when you're going through this process and what we like about our position is we've done it so many times, not in small scale where there's 10% of a population, but there's 60,000 users that have transformed into highly compliant organization because that's the other part of, uh, of it. Network and security teams need the service, but it needs to get through the compliance auditors and all of these other legal checks. If it, if it doesn't, get, you know, those, those, those um, will be issues in terms of even being able to complete these um, transformations. But it means that you know, it gives us separation because we think it just takes time to build a service of that scale, 150 billion requests, to go through the cycles of transforming the largest organizations in the world, the largest banks in the world. So I think those are, those are a lot of risk areas that newer vendors coming in are going to have to run through those road bumps. And it means for that, for those customers or prospects, that they may not make those deadlines. We can use the experience that we've had with the large banks, with the large energy, with highly compliant organizations, take advantage of that intellectual property of what you need to go through, what you'll bump into, and ensure that we can apply that and help these organizations with partners get through this process successfully. Let me ask you here finally, what's the biggest bet that you're intending to make at iBoss in 2023? We want to dominate the mainstream market. When it comes to the true SaaS version of connectivity and security, what they call zero trust and SASE, our goal, and we've taught, we started at the top of the pyramid, so we want the left of the largest, most complicated, because it's for us, I think it's easier to go down, down market, is we know that the early market, that we know that was dominated by someone like Zscale. But I think that early starters and early companies, we started around the same time, you know, that we focused on technology, focused on sales, go to marketing, going and, those types of things. But we think that what's most important is that the technology needs to be right to scale. And we think that these pragmatic buyers are going to want something that's scalable, has, is performant, reliable, and we have so many wins under our belt that are the largest, again, largest banks, largest, largest energy and others. So we have enough of the proof points. We want, to, we want to take this mainstream market and become the leader in the space. Very interesting. Paul, thank you so much here for the time. Yeah, absolutely. We've been speaking with Paul Martini. He is the co-founder and CEO of iBoss. For Information Security Media Group, this is Michael Novenson. Have a nice day.